0: I heard of Natalie Rivera uh, on one of the Facebook groups I'm in, and I instantly knew I wanted to interview her for you guys here on the podcast. Natalie's an amazing woman. She's a journalist, and it's, I, I find it amazing how she's managed to create a space to give a voice to so many people that are not able to have one themselves So I'm really much looking forward to share this episode with you guys. So this is Natalie Rivera, Um, just to give you a quick uh, update about this as we spoke about her background um, growing up as a Latina in the U.S. and also about her podcast called How I Fuck (laughs) and also what it's all about, what she talks about in that one, which uh, I thought was very brave and amazing. Um, the way she's giving a voice to people that usually wouldn't have one in that space. Um, So yes, I'm very, very grateful to have her as a guest here on the podcast. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Have fun with today's episode. Hi, and welcome everybody to another episode here on the podcast. I'm so excited um, to have the conversation today with Natalie, and uh, yeah, before I get started let's just dive in. Hello Natalie. how are you
1: <laughs> i'm good I'm good how are you
0: very good I'm so excited to talk to you because well we'll we'll get into that but maybe for now, can you tell our our viewers and listeners um, what uh, what you do today
1: yeah sure so I am a podcast producer I am the producer for a podcast for a streaming podcast service called Himalaya right now. So I'm doing that currently. I am producing a podcast for one of their Latina clients, which is great. And I'm also the producer and host of How I Fuck, which is a podcast about sex and inclusivity.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And now you know why I'm so excited to talk with you. <laughs> but... um maybe let's get started with that part how did you get to be to do all this because it's so beautiful I mean of course podcast is sort of the environment you chose but still on one hand how did you become a producer and on on the other hand how did you become a podcaster yourself and of course the third question but we don't want to take it uh, you you'll you'll you can answer as big as you want um how did you come up with the idea of doing a podcast exactly about that topic
1: yeah so i graduated with a journalism degree after journalism after journalism school um i started freelancing for women's lifestyle websites so i was always under the assumption that i wanted to just write articles and be a journalist in that way um but like many things uh digital media, social media just started changing a lot. And so I was hired by Pop Sugar, which is a women's lifestyle website to be a video producer there. And I really didn't know too much about producing. I was initially hired to write scripts for them because they wanted a journalist. And uh, yeah, within a couple of months, they asked me to pre- be a producer. And I was like, I don't know what a producer is, but okay. And I just kept working at it. I learned everything that I know There and I started making videos for them. And it was definitely a learning experience. I also was a staff writer there, so I wrote a lot of articles, mostly about my um, Latina roots. So that was great. And um, I left there in 2018. I was there for almost three years. I left to join Attention, which is another digital media company, Um, this time focusing more on the environment and politics. And I joined their team as a video producer there as well. And I spent almost two years there and it was great. I also learned a lot there. While I was there, I learned a lot more about editing. I was editing my own videos. I took a workshop. I was taking classes. And so I was producing videos, but I was also editing them and with video editing, you also kind of have to edit audio as well, of course. And, you know, just like playing with like sound effects or playing with the music or, you know, what sound bites you want to come at what time. And me having always really been into podcasts, I was just like, you know, I should probably learn how to make a podcast myself because I kind of see that as the next tier of like journalism. I think at first, I mean, obviously not to say that articles have gone away, but like articles was like, the only kind of form of journalism that we had and obviously broadcast news, but then also um, videos like Facebook videos, YouTube videos, we're all getting our content through there. And then I feel like a lot of us, me included, are getting our content through podcasting. Mm -hmm. So I was like, as a storyteller, I think it's important for me to also learn podcasting. And thankfully, my boyfriend is an audio engineer. So he has taught me a lot. He has been great. And that's actually how we met because I wanted to start a podcast about immigration and so, I actually did about two or three interviews for that podcast, and it actually never saw the light of day because I was my heart wasn't into it and mm-hmm. it wasn't until i wrote uh, until I read an article by The Atlantic about dwarfism and sex that I was like, "Wow, I really want to do a series about sex and about how people of different backgrounds or identities or conditions have they have sex because I think." Like many of us, I just grew up with a lot of heteronormative cis uh, representations of like what sex and relationships look like in the media. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was important to, I thought it was interesting to like learn how people, other people or everyone just navigate sex. So that was where the inspiration for How I Fuck came to be. And in 2019, I started working on it. I started pre-producing. I was booking guests deciding like what kind of episodes I wanted and yeah thankfully uh, we are start starting to roll out episodes we are releasing our fourth episode this once this wednesday and it's been a lot of work there's a lot of research that goes into it but it has been great
0: Oh, thank you so much yeah I think it's amazing and I find it very very brave because I feel that like you said because we have those normatives it's it's um, it's different to read about it, to hear about it, to, you know, to to find a, a space for it. And now you're giving people with, because I think it's imparted part, it's p- people with disabilities also a space to express how they feel, how they how they talk about it. So it's like a it's like a, you're opening, you're making voice to two taboos, basically, because on one hand, I think it's still, even though we're in this modern age, I think it's still very hard to talk about sex in general. I mean, even even as a heterosexual cis personality, it's still, you know, in some circles, it's still a little bit uh, hard for two people, because c- you just mentioned the Latina background. I know it from my Latin American background that uh, especially there, it's still sort of like, hmm, you know, like, am I going to talk? I can't even talk to my mom about it, right? Um, and then on the other hand, especially for people that have, for example, dwarfism, um, I was listening to the one uh, with a, a cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause we're all human beings and we're also allowed to do, to, to want sex. And to do it. And it's so beautiful to actually start talking about it because it's so natural. It's so beautiful that you're you're making that space. So it's really, really great.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think sex is a, a human right almost, really. Mm-hmm. I think um, everyone should have a way to try to pleasure themselves or to try to explore the sexuality. And I find it... Um, I feel like when we have porn or representation of sex or even when it comes to sex toys when we have those kind of things that are just so hetero or so cis or so ableist also I think that 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 we're letting down a lot of people who might not you know who might not fit that uh like that demographic for people who are purchasing those things so I think it's I think it's really important that we kind of have an understanding especially if we you know date people who are maybe who are maybe disabled or who are maybe uh, trans or who maybe have experienced uh some form of trauma i think that we also kind of have a responsibility to inform ourselves and to not just go into a relationship with someone with a different experience to us and just assume that we you know that we understand how they function sexually um, for example our next episode is with a, with a sexual assault survivor and so she explains mm. to me how she had so many partners who really weren't patient with her and she really needed someone to be patient especially if she was having panic attacks and you know a lot of the men that she dated were just kind of annoyed by that and um, she felt like she couldn't communicate and also there was a you know obviously there was also the question of like consent too where like men were just not would be violating her consent and um, she actually as a result of her assault uh, was diagnosed with a vaginismus which is a vaginal um, it's it's basically when you, when your vagina doesn't want something to penetrate it. So if something goes in it, it clenches and it's just mm-hmm. like, Oh, I or don't like know. the it's, muscles it's, contract
0: or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, it's like the muscles are super traumatized, like the muscles itself too. Like it mm-hmm. just doesn't, you know, it just clenches and it makes sex uh, more just painful for her. And so she also needed someone to kind of understand that and to be careful with her and, um, yeah and i think that it's important for for everyone to just kind of understand that and empathize that empathize with that because um you know you might be dating someone who's had a similar experience or or just in general like it's i think it's important to understand other people's experiences and I think right now we're in a place where we're reflecting about a lot of things especially about race right now and we're just like trying to have I think like me myself like I'm just trying to have a better understanding of like the black experience you know and I think that we try to understand people's experiences a lot but I think one of uh, like a very huge part of a person's experience is sexuality, really, or even the lack of sexuality, like the asexual community, you know, so I think it's kind of important to understand that too, because I think a lot of us just focus on, you know, like the, the mental part of it or the career part of it, but I think the sexual health part, part of it, I think it's just as important as the mental health.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much, and that's why I was saying because it's such a taboo topic for so many people, even even nowadays where we're supposed to be even more open for it. Um, you also just said the the race part, race, racial part, because we're also all thinking about that. Can you tell us a little bit about how is your background? Like, what kind of cultures were you influenced by throughout your being? Because you're in the U- United States right now.
1: Yeah. Um both of my parents are Mexican. Uh they're Mexican immigrants. My dad is from Jalisco, my mom's from Michoacan. And my both of my parents actually they came here when they were teenagers and they came here undocumented actually. And because of the Reagan immigration reform, they were able to uh get papers and they are citizens in this country and uh it's it's interesting it's really interesting uh grow i mean it's it's interesting growing up with parents who are immigrants and who spent a lot of their well now they've spent most of their lives here but you know at the time especially because they were young i think they were maybe 22 when they had me uh growing up with parents that were on the younger side and who uh, weren't born here and who came here a little later in life Uh, It was interesting because I had to understand, I had to make place in my life for our culture, our Mexican culture, but also, you know, the American culture that I was born into. And uh, like, for example, I I speak Spanish, but it's rusty. And um, my dad, when he came over here, he took classes to learn English and his English is pretty good. But, you know, my dad... from my understanding, kind of needed someone to practice his English with. So as a child, my Mm. dad would speak to me in English a lot, you know, but I think that kind of screwed me over because I wasn't practicing my Spanish enough. So that was, yeah, it was, it was interesting because like, you know, I had my father who still wanted to practice his English and we would watch movies, American movies, movies in English. And, um, Yeah, I I still myself wanted to learn more about like Mexican culture and not to say my parents didn't expose me to that. They definitely did. We went to Mexico almost every year. But when it came to language in the household, uh, my father and I, we were very, very, very close. And so we would mostly speak English in the house. yeah. So, which is great because that means I have a better relationship with my father, but then that was also not so great for me speaking Spanish and practicing my Spanish. Um But yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think, uh well, when I, I grew up in San Fernando, in the San Fernando Valley, in the city of San Fernando here in California. And I grew up with just mostly Latinos so at like the schools I went to middle school and high school it was predominantly Latinx uh, which is cool because I'm around a lot of people who are like me but I did feel kind of like an outsider there just because to them I was a little I was pretty light-skinned and even the way that I spoke so you know I would get comments about being whitewash or people at my school just assuming that I was white even though my last name is Rivera Mm -hmm. And uh, that was, that was a little interesting, you know, because I did feel like I wasn't like Mexican enough, but I also felt like I wasn't American enough too sometimes. And so I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of people, their parents were also immigrants, undocumented immigrants or, you know, people who, who came over. And it wasn't until I was in, it wasn't until my, my mid twenties, actually, when I was hired at Pop Sugar. Uh, that I realized that, I don't know, I, you know, at Pop Sugar there was a lot of white people there, honestly, and I had never been around so many white people before, which is not a bad thing, I guess, but I was very much like, oh, like, I guess my story is a little interesting, because I would talk to people who, you know, I would make friends there, and they would ask me about my family, and I would tell them, you know, all this stuff. And I told them that my dad actually jumped the border three times. And they were just like, so fascinated by that. And they're just like, whoa, what? And they like, they would ask a lot of questions. And it was just interesting, not being in a neighborhood where that wasn't the norm, like before it was the norm, and now it wasn't. And uh, so talking about that, I was just, you know, I was like, wow, this, I guess, like some people obviously like can't relate to the story or they don't know or they don't know about mexican culture and um that really inspired me to write more about my latina roots um but yeah, I think growing up, it was interesting. I, when I was a child, I was pretty shy, so I didn't speak that much to begin with. And then at home, the only other person that I would speak to was like my dad. And so he was speaking a lot of English because he wanted to practice it. And so I did feel like I was just, dis- I didn't have like a connection to Spanish as much as I would have wanted to. Even though in high school I took AP Spanish, I took AP Spanish Lit, uh, I was reading books in Spanish and, you know, I was writing it, but when it came to conversing it, um, that's where it was a little more difficult for me, for sure. And then also my dad owns a Mexican restaurant that he's owned since since I was 12 years old, actually, so he still has it, and, like, I would try to practice my Spanish there with, like, taking orders and stuff. But again, it's, it's interesting uh, being Mexican-American or being anything American and trying to still kind of practice that language here, but then also still trying to perfect your English as well. Um, because I think that, I think it's really important for people to be well-spoken and well-versed um, in English here, especially if you want to pitch anything or you're pitching yourself to a job to like an employer, you know, you Mm. want to sound really intelligent, honestly. And so, um, Yeah, like I would very much kind of like focus on the English a lot because I felt like I had to and I wish I didn't, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I would have focused more on the Spanish as well or have been equally like English and Spanish, but I'm not sure. Like I know people who can do that, who have been good at that or who are better in Spanish than they are in English. And I think my mind was just wired to try to like perfect English better. And uh, yeah, so I think like now that I'm older I want to speak more Spanish and I tell my dad like can we please just like start speaking more Spanish (laughs) together and I definitely you know have been I mean I've always like watched movies in Spanish and stuff but I think for me it is the conversing you know my first two days in Mexico if I go visit Mexico my first two days is kind of difficult and then after that it's a lot easier for me to just like speak but um Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great. And I really do. I feel like I really, really do embrace it, especially because I'm so committed to trying to continue speaking Spanish and continue like learning about my culture. I have friends who, who don't, who don't speak Spanish, even though they are Mexican American. And that's, that's totally fine. But for me, I just... I I want to keep practicing that. I really, really do. I don't know. For me, it's really important that I understand that. And then when I'm in Mexico, I understand what I'm saying. And then I can speak to my aunts and uncles the way that I want to speak and get my point across. I think um, a lot of us like Latinx people, like Latinx millennials, we really are in a place where we want to embrace our roots. And you see it a lot like on Instagram with like even with, like, the explosion of, like, Selena, uh, like, culture, you know, like, just, like, you see it everywhere now, like, Selena or Walter Mercado or just, like, anything like that, like, you really do see that, like, Latinx millennials are just, like, they're embracing it, and I think that's great, and I think that's awesome, and I do, too, you know, I also have, like, a Selena mug, like, absolutely, like, I'm all for that, <laughs> but I also really think that it's important to try to maybe also, like, Do the best you can in understanding the language, you know, even if you even if you can't speak it or if it's a little, you know, if you feel like it's too late for you, because I don't know, I guess I've read somewhere that the brain stops developing, developing at at like 25 and it's kind of harder for you to like speak another language. So I totally get that. But even just like watching things in Spanish, you know, Um, I'm all for supporting Mexican-American artists, but I also kind of want to support Mexican artists and watch Mexican movies and yeah and so that's my reaction
0: to it <laughs> <laughs> i mean for me I'm, I'm i'm ecuadorian born in ecuador but i was raised also in nicaragua so it's a little bit closer to mexican culture but mexican culture i feel influences all of latin america i mean if we get started with chavo de Ocho for every kid who doesn't know chavo de locho um, so if you guys want to practice spanish they're a little bit funny. So they might not teach you very good Spanish, but it's very funny to watch. Uh, Cantinflas is, so, you know, the Walter Mercado con mucho amor. Yeah. I didn't know he was blowing up again because he was, he was big in the 90s. And uh, so, you know, um, it's uh, I, I find there's such a richness I, always in every culture, but now specifically Mexican. I don't know why I relate so much with them. The food, I love everything about it. Um but it's also, I find it nice and interesting that you say that they want to go back to those, that, that everybody wants to look for those roots as well. In my case, I had, because um, I, I relate so much when someone tells me, you know, I did I was, like you said, you were not white enough, but you weren't Mexican enough. And um, that's that's how I felt when I was in Ecuador. That's how I felt when I was here in Germany. And, and it takes time to sort of, like like you say, go back and treasure what you actually have and see that treasure inside of you and go like, okay, it's okay if I'm mixed. I'm allowed to be mixed. Because I feel even though your DNA is only from one culture, you're still mixed because you were so much influenced by everything that you lived through in the U.S., right? While growing up there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. You, uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you can be... Latinx, it can be like super dark skin and like look like you are like Mexican, Mexican. But like growing up in this culture, growing up in America, you will be definitely like heavily influenced by American culture. And I mean, even like with just other cultures too, I think a lot of, I think, I don't know why, but I think for, and maybe there's like a study out there that backs this up. But I think a lot of Latinx uh, kids growing up really gravitated to Japanese culture and like anime. And I was kind of one of those people who really gravitated to Sailor Moon. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's interesting too. Not to say that just because you no, not to say that you just because you consume a culture that you are a part of that culture. But it is really interesting, like the You're kind of like cultures you yeah. decide to consume. Yeah
0: like yeah because you're you're just influenced by that even though like you say Japanese culture like like I say for me I've never lived in Mexico but I've been so much influenced by that culture and and I think it's the same when you do that and I I just thought would because my cousin is very much like that too.
1: yeah well it's interesting because when you go to other countries um I mean when I go to Mexico when I went I went to Europe god five years ago I think it was like I went to Amsterdam and London yeah and so I uh met people who were really into our Netflix shows uh or just our shows in general like our American shows like even growing up when I was a kid like I went to I was in Mexico and like you I mean you see our our American programming there people are totally loving it also like the Japanese programming there because I remember watching Dragon Ball Z when I was like Eight years old and it was summer and i was at my grandmother's house and uh it's yeah it's interesting because you like when i went to london we were talking to some girls there at a bar and they were just like oh my god i just love your like i love this show and i love that show and like this and that you know <laughs> and it's funny because i was just watching the show rammy uh on hulu and when he goes to a Egypt where his family is from he, he's Egyptian when he goes to Egypt he's just like he wants to just suck in all of like the Egyptian culture but his cousin picks him up and his cousin is just like so excited that his American cousin is here and his cousin just wants to suck up all the American culture and he's just like <laughs> let's go to Chili's and get like buffalo wings And he's just like no I'm not gonna go to like get buffalo wings in Egypt like that's not why I, <laughs> I came to Egypt if I wanted buffalo wings I would have stayed in New York but it's it's interesting how like he hasn't connected to his Egyptian roots as much. And he really just wants to, that's the purpose of him going as to connect with them. But, you know, he sees his family who is really connected to like American culture and American technology. Like they're just waiting for the things that he's brought back and, you know, they want the iPads and stuff and the Nikes. And yeah, I mean, the times that I've gone to Mexico, it's kind of like that. And I, I like that. I like the fact that um we share each other we share our like art with each other and i don't think people focus on that a lot like i remember when i was in high school my one of my cousins her boyfriend was also into metal at the time and him and i bonded over a metal band in canada uh that's in canada and um that's great i think that the internet has definitely made that even easier for us to just share all this different art with each other and so that's why that's why I'm kind of like in a place where I'm like, you know, I, I kind of want to do that. Like, you know, I grew up with um, Univision and Telemundo Impacto and like all like all the news and like all that and all of the novelas too. I grew up with that. But now that I'm older, I do want to consume more like I want to consume more art that is made in Mexico, the way that they consume so much art that is made here in the U.S., and also because when you're growing up, you kind of don't, as a child, you don't really choose what you watch sometimes, you know? So like I would watch Walter Mercado because like my mom put it on, but yeah, it's um, it's something that I really want to keep kind of trying to connect with because I think it's, for me, it's just really, really important. For me, I think like growing up, I was too shy. I wasn't as outspoken and I wasn't really as aware as I was now, I guess, not to say that I'm so aware of anything really but it's important to me how
0: would you say did all of this influence you to be as courageous to 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 really go head on and say okay i want the world to know a lot of things because i mean i'm not just talking about the 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 podcast but i mean in general because i feel that you give for me a, a journalist is someone that gives a voice right to things problems to to whatever so that it can be seen um how did you get that how would you say what what drove you like really to to do to say okay I need to I need to tell these stories
1: I think I have always been been someone who wants to share things that I just found out like I am very much someone who like you know just falls into a rabbit hole and starts like researching a bunch of stuff really uh like right now i'm currently watching Rami on hulu <laughs> and i just like after watching it i'm like googling all the stuff about islam and egypt and islam in africa and islam all around the world and then i just started thinking about like catholicism in mexico and then like you know <laughs> so i'm i've always been someone who really likes to just like talk about things that i thought was like really interesting and even when i was a kid definitely yeah well not when I was a kid because when I was a kid I was very quiet but I think in middle school and high school and yeah and definitely in college too if I found out something I would just like want to tell my friends I was like did you know that this thing happened once in history or did you know that you know this is happening or did you know that you know I'm always the friend who kind of brings stuff like that up and I have a really weird uh memory bank I just remember a lot of weird stuff. I don't know I just like <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that like I'll find interesting or like I will like store it away or you know I, I'm just like full of like different information for some reason but mm-hmm. I think the the fact that when I was younger and I wasn't out- outspoken that I was shy and I was a little lonely. it was just me and my brother and my brother and I we have a four year difference. But when you're a kid, that's like, like that makes the hugest difference. Like now it doesn't, but when you're a kid, it does. And so I didn't really, I didn't have friends. I didn't have too many friends I could talk to, uh, especially like I didn't really have friends I can go out and play with that much. So... I kind of would, you know, find these things out and I couldn't uh, verbalize it. I couldn't like say it out loud or share it with like my my dad was working all the time and my mother and I, we don't have a good relationship. So I also couldn't really uh, vocalize it to her. So I feel like I was just kind of like I just had all these thoughts and these ideas that were just trapped in me and I couldn't actually pour them out. And I think it was, I don't think it was until I started like writing or like I would keep a journal or those kind of things or just like reading that I felt like I could actually uh, be able to say those things. And I think that's why I gravitated to journalism because I, I, I don't know, I just find these really interesting things and I want to share it with the world. I will say that at every job that I've been to, that I've worked at where it's like journalism based, I've never had a problem with pitching stories. Like I've always been the one with like just weird stories. I've had coworkers tell me, I don't know how the hell you you found that or something, you know. Uh so I just like I that's why I really love it because I love finding these new things out and I feel like, oh my god, I wish people would know that. Or I think like, or like if people knew this, it would make them think of this. And I don't know, I'm just very much like that. Like for instance, for example, I think uh, I was listening to a podcast about this athlete who is intersex and found out found out that they're intersex later in life, and she was being disqualified from the uh, from the women's team. For I forgot, I think it was track and field. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, it was a story that was going around at that time, and they were talking for a brief moment. They were talking about intersex, and they're saying that about about two percent of people who are of the world's population is intersex, and that like blew my mind. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, Yeah. that doesn't sound like a lot. That is a lot. That like. 2%, that's uh, people on this earth who are uh, naturally ginger with red hair. They are also uh, 2%. Like 2% of the world's population has natural red hair. So that's a lot of people if you think about it, if you put it in that kind of context. And I can't believe more, I don't know. It's just like so interesting that like more people or like we're so divided in terms of like cis and trans, you know, when you have 2% of the population that is like, that isn't that doesn't you know because people are like it's biology and like you're born this way and like you you're born this gender this sex and like therefore like you can't change that because you can't change nature or something but there's two percent of the world's population that doesn't even really fit with man male or female sexes and i find just, that just, so fascinating
0: just, just to explain what what is intersex just in case we have someone listening in there that- oh.
1: Yeah, sure. So intersex means uh, someone who is on this s- intersex spectrum. So it's they don't necessarily fit with the male sex or the female sex. So it's either they are born with uh, XY chromosomes, or maybe they have internal test testes too, or maybe they have external testes, but they look, you know, they have both women or male genitalia, but that doesn't always have to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think hemorrhagia Oh, God, I can't say that word. Hem-
0: hemaphrodite? Oh, huh? Hemaphrodite?
1: Yeah, right? That's how you say it. Oh, I God. don't know. Well, that's kind of like a goddess. Hemaphrodite. I think that's how you say it. I don't know why I'm blanking on this. But I can't say it right now. Uh, <laughs> hemaphrodite? I can't believe I'm. Oh, yours sounds way better. I think it's a- than mine. Yeah, well, I think it's a good thing that I'm blanking on it because that's like a derogatory term because people would be like, oh, they're a, 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 I don't know, like a she-male or something. And these are very derogatory terms to explain people who might have both male and female genitalia. Um, But people who do have both male and female genitalia, they are intersex or people who uh, have like different chromosomes or they have more testosterone. Uh, as a woman, or like I said, they have internal uh, testes or external, or even micropenis. Uh, there are people with micropenises that are also like micropenis can also be considered intersex. So it's like a wide spectrum of just different. Basically, like uh, it's not strictly male, or female. Like they are born with genitalia that is kind of like in the middle in a way, which is uh, which can, in some cases, at least in the past, can can uh influence doctors to perform intersex surgery that i think i'm very against stuff because yeah. a lot of people right now are speaking well this has been going on for some time that people are born intersex and the doctor is just like whoa i don't you know i don't know what to do with this oh god like you know what i'll fix this like i'll make this baby male or I'll make this baby female, like let's correct it. I think it's a uh, genital correction surgery. I believe that's mm-hmm. what it's called. I might be wrong on that, but um, it's terrible because it's not, it's doing, it's doing, it's messing with a person's genitalia without uh, their consent. I mean, their newborns or their babies, you know, when they have this done. And it's also, it, it can also affect the way that they feel, uh, the way that they feel, uh, experience sex later on. So, you know, there's been people who've talked about having plasty and uh, how they didn't know that they had vaginal plasty. They had plasty, I guess, when they were a child, they had no idea. And uh, later in life, they feel this pain or they just, they feel this weirdness. And they thought that they're just like, I don't think this is normal. And then they find out later that their parents had them be like corrected, which is just, it's just terrible. And it's like, It's, it's, it also has, it gives this idea that people need to be strictly male or female. And I think that if you're gonna, if you're gonna be one of those people that are just like biology and we need to like God's way or, you know, not to, not to diss any religion or anything, but, you know, like it's nature and this is the way it was. Well, I mean, I think you should also take into account that 2% of people are in this spectrum, you know, 2% of people don't, that's, that's so many people on this planet, and I don't think we, we definitely shouldn't be correcting people without their consent, you know, um, I think, like, I think we should give people the option whether they, they want, uh, whether they want this kind of, uh, surgery later in life, but as a baby, and who knows the effects, and it's just, it's just terrible, there was this, um, there was this man. I think it was in the '60s when he was born. His name was David Reimer, um, and he he was a twin. He was born male. Him and his brother, uh, twins, and they had a circumcision, and his circumcision was blotched. Uh, I think back then you could do You can perform it with like with just like with. Uh, fire really like just burning it Mm -hmm. and so his uh, penis uh, unfortunately I think was like burnt off like it was it was really tragic him as a baby and so his parents were you know freaking out obviously and they went to a doctor um, who specializes in uh, in this sex and gender, and he was just like, oh, this would make for a great experiment. So he had, so they decided that they would form, uh, they would have him present as a woman, you know, and so he spent all of his like most of his life presenting as a woman, and he felt completely off, of course, because that's not what he was born into, and um, you know, they were just kind of like sweeping this away by having him present as a woman. And it wasn't until I think he was like 16 or 17 that his mom told him what happened. And then, you know, and then he felt like he was just like, had to kind of reassign his gender. And, and it was a very tragic thing. And he had a lot of mental health issues. And he actually ended up committing suicide in his 30s. And i can't imagine how confusing that must have been to um, grow up feeling like, you know, everyone's telling you that you have to be this gender and him just not feeling that way at all, you know, and him being teased also because he looked... He, you know, him as a child. He, you know, he was wearing dresses, but he did look like a boy wearing dresses. Mm. And so he was teased a lot as a kid too. And him not understanding that to find out that it was because your parents made this decision when you're a baby, you know, that's like that's terrible.
0: Yeah, and because I think I mean we already have the topic of of how many transgender people out there or not How do how do you call the yeah the ones that are born feeling in a different body, right? like and and, but then when it's a physical thing it's like you you're not even allowed to decide oh you know it's it's even harder and i I find it i'm so sorry for them because i was talking to about this also with my sister because she's she's all she also likes to research those those things because she she did some something similar like child protective uh things and um it's so i find it so hard on one hand, for parents having to make that decision for your child, to have that pressure from the environment to having to mm-hmm. make that decision, you know, because there's so many cultures that actually embrace that difference. I think I've heard of a couple in Asia that that embrace someone that is like that and that they see them as gods. Well, of course, we also have the ones that see them as demons, but... I think it's it's nicer to to try to embrace their beauty and allow them to just be whoever they want to be, and and maybe when they grow up, decide if they want to stay this this mix or if they want to become just one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's really odd that people don't accept people um, so easily when it comes to gender uh, or, or sex or being intersex. Um, I, I just, I don't understand why it's so hard for people to just to kind of accept these things, especially when you have science to back things up. Like I'm not, no one's making up intersex. Like no one, you know, that is a very real thing. That is a real thing. And doesn't that prove that like, that a lot of us just aren't and that sex, it's just, you know, I, I, I think it kind of gives, trans people more of a, like, it It kind of makes trans people more, like, it It makes sense then that trans people are trans people, that we have trans people on this earth, then, that, like, that's how I see it as, like, if we have intersex people, then I guess it makes sense that there are, you know, that there are trans people, and I don't, I don't understand why people can't accept that. I just always thought that that was pretty weird. Uh I think it's just because, like, people are so, they're so embedded in their ways where they're just, like, we need to, like, this makes sense and that makes sense and anything in between or anything different, like, just doesn't make sense and I don't understand why it's so hard for people to just, like, wrap their minds around, like, oh, we will just, uh, like, I will call them by their pronouns now or, like, the pronouns change, I'll call, I'll call them around that, like, it's not even that hard to do, it's really not, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not hard to like rep, uh to respect someone and to use a pronounce that they want or just be like okay I'm going to call them by this new the name that they gave themselves you know um yeah I don't I really understand why there's so much divide about that which is why I'm so fascinated by by just how many intersex people there are on this earth because I feel like well you know like there's like there's this many people who are intersex isn't that proof that like sex can be it isn't so binary sometimes sex can be like this or that uh yeah
0: yeah i think that's the, yeah that's like a whole extra episode for that because yeah. i mean I, yeah it's so much about religion acceptance and yeah very very strong but i find i find it like i said i'm i'm i i find it amazing i think it's so beautiful i still have to re- uh, remind myself to start saying latinx instead of latina or latino and practice those new things. I feel that especially the younger generations are coming with more acceptance, with with less labels for themselves and also for everybody else. So I I do believe that's where the future is taking us. And and that's why I think it's beautiful that, I'm calling us Mixies, by the way, (laughs) that a a Mixie, uh, because I think that's what we're here for because of our experience with different cultures. I think, or because for me, the cultures are equal to values. And because we have so many influences of values from all all different places, we become the bridge builders. So for me, it's so natural when you say it's like, yeah, you had to become this uh, spe- spokesperson for so many things and so many people, especially because I, I feel that, like when you were talking about it, it just drew you to do that and it's it's like you just had to do would you would you say that you have a purposeful life that you're like uh, fully in your purpose
1: I think I yeah I I think so I think so I think there's I mean there's moments where I'm just like maybe I should try covering something else or reporting on something else or you know I'll, I'll see people who are just covering huge, huge topics, like whether it is immigration, and I've written about immigration, I've done videos about immigration, but I've seen people who have done like huge, huge, you know, who cover huge topics, who are more into, who who work for media outlets, like let's say like CNN or something like that, you know, and then I, I do think like, you know, that's serious reporting, maybe I should like look into that, but I've always really liked this kind of, this kind of journalism that i've chosen for myself really which is more of uh like i would say explanatory journalism and i would say it's like and you know i like to cover serious topics but i like to do it in a way where it's relatable and i i hope that i do that i hope that i'm uh, successful in that but in in that case yeah i do i do feel like it is purposeful i can't really imagine doing anything else i think maybe like later down in my life maybe i could teach maybe you know but like other than that i really do like telling stories and I, that's why i always thought it was important for me to just learn different ways of telling stories uh but yeah i'm really i'm content with the stuff that i make and i'm content with the ideas that i like to talk about and you know the messages that i like to send out so i'm, I'm pretty content with it and i'm still growing i'm absolutely still growing and you know like we'll see, we'll see what happens. But as of now, yeah, I'm content.
0: <laughs> I think I think it's amazing. I think it's really great. Um, yeah, because you're doing something very meaningful. And I and like you said, the the explanatory is way, but I I feel it helps us to overcome feeling separation from each other. It's more like including ourselves. Like me talking to you how are you how is your personality it might not be the same as me but at least now I know how you are right and and I feel that that's the kind of journalism that we need because that's how people are going to learn that we are not that different
1: yeah yeah definitely I agree (laughs)
0: thank you so much um i'm gonna post every all your details in the show notes of the podcast and also underneath the video so that everybody can see and find you um maybe just as a last question do you have do you have like a book or could be an audiobook or a special podcast that you can highly recommend that you would say other than your own, other than your own, (laughs) because we're definitely recommending that one. Look into that, uh, look into, listen to that one. It's really, I like it. It's very, yeah, informative. (laughs) Um,
1: Um, Man, when it comes to podcasts, podcast, so the one that I'm listening to well I listen to so many. So for sure I listened to Code Switch. I listened to Latino like Latino USA. I listened to Today Explain. I listened to Radio Lab. One that is actually wasn't renewed for another season. So they ended it and um, I'm really heartbroken because of that. And I actually started listening to it a little later into their into their life, and that's Nancy. So that's a great podcast by WNYC. Um, there's not going to be any more new episodes, but they have four seasons worth of episodes, and I've been going back, uh, listening to all of them, listening to the one side, and have a chance to listen to when they first aired. And it's an amazing podcast about everything. It's like it's a queer podcast, but it's so educational, and I think it's so positive. And I really I love it so much. It makes me it makes me smile, and it has very great, like, it has great stories, and, like, they explore, for instance, there's a great episode about child uh, drag stars, like, kids doing drag, or how sex education, like, making sex education queer, you know, and I think, like, these are very important, yeah, I, I think they're fascinating topics, they're important topics, and they're definitely something worth listening to.
0: Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that last one. I find that very important and very beautiful because I find there's so many, I mean, okay, drag is only, bo- is it only boys to girls to dr- wearing girls' dresses or is it also girls wearing men' dress, uh, boys' dresses?
1: Well, uh, that is drag kings, I believe, is um, women who are, uh, women who dress, dress up like in like men's like clothing, I believe is drag kings
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: drag queens. Usually, from my understanding, it's like men dressing in women's clothing.
0: Nice, because I saw, now that you mentioned it, I've also, somewhere on Facebook, I, I was shown this nine year old boy that was dressing flamboyant in colors and it was and I thought it was so beautiful because I mean in in my generation I think the moment you would have a boy do that he would already be labeled okay he has to be gay even though he you don't know maybe he just likes dressing up in those you know like you you just don't know and and by already defining having that prejudice and already pre-defining it and um it just it just doesn't help it just doesn't help because that's when when things happen when they feel bad and you know not good for being the way they are
1: yeah yeah definitely that's, i think uh just because someone does this one thing it doesn't it could but it doesn't necessarily define the the person that they are and again it's just um i think a lot of us and i definitely am guilty of this sometimes uh we are obsessed with like knowing Like, we're just, like, we need to know, like, oh, well, then that person is this or that person is that. And, like, for some reason, for our, like, labels is just really important to us. Like, we kind of obsess over that. We, like, we want to just know. And we don't like things being in a gray area.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very true. We're going to take that as our little last words. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Natalie. It was really, really wonderful. We almost made a full hour. Thank you so much. Oh, I know. I saw. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to us here on the podcast. And yeah, you're going to have all the information below. And yeah, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thank you. Bye, everybody.